Jade Software presents Beta and Beyond, the RegTech Modernization Podcast. Hey, welcome back everybody to Beta and Beyond. Today, I'm excited to be talking to one of our DevOps engineers, Dan Rosenbrock, who has been knee-deep in implementing and optimizing DevOps methodologies and technologies for our clients. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No problems. A bit of insider information here. Uh, one of the things I really love working uh, or about Jade is working with smart, passionate people like Dan. We're having a discussion about this topic the other day, and it was evident that he really believed in what he was doing and knows the difference that it makes for our clients. A little bit of a caveat here too. This might get a bit technical, but it's been valuable, no doubt. Well, that's enough from me. Dan, want to share a little about your journey towards DevOps? Awesome, Michael. Yes. Um, so when I I think I've had a bit of a unique start in my IT career. I, I started as a automated tester. Um, I was in that role for a couple of years, which then led into a development role. Um, and then that's when I found my love for DevOps within that role. So I think actually having these previous roles helped me accelerate my DevOps career um, because I was able to understand what the testers wanted, what developers wanted, and what managers wanted. And this was just in order to um, aid their their workflow that they already have uh, in place. So I've worked for some uh, some large enterprise customers um, who work with software both in financial crime or insurance. Um, as you can imagine, both of these have very high regulatory pressures. Uh, so this is when uh, DevSecOps really comes into it. So this is adding security on top of uh, DevOps strategies already. So yeah, that's a bit of um, my background, I suppose. I'm hearing quite a bit of feedback at the moment in the market uh, that although teams have been practicing a form of DevOps, they aren't as advanced in their journey as they either think or would ideally like to be. After working with a number of engineering teams, then what's your overall take on the state of DevOps? So from what I've seen firsthand, improving DevOps practices is seen as a very costly expense and it's treated more as technical debt. Um, it's very easy for developers to hide away all the manual processes they're having to do in order to give um, this elegant, uh, in air quotations, elegant DevOps solutions. So I've seen um, bad practices take out entire teams for up to two weeks. And the thing that shocked me the most about this particular scenario is that it was an accepted thing, um, almost that, yeah, it was it was expected to happen. So there was complexity in this particular scenario, there's complexity around their DevOps um, structure and how they how they had implemented it. So they had their DevOps scripts spread across multiple platforms. So if you can think um, there was a GitHub connection, a TeamCity connection, a NuGet repository sitting in there, an Octopus um, deployment connection, and their on-premise host servers as well. So they had this, they had they had this really big kind of uh, DevOps pipeline that incorporated a lot of different pieces. And while it got their job done, it was a very inefficient way of doing it. And what that led to was them having build times that would take up to four hours. Um, and it was very typical to see builds go up to six hours if they, if they had front-end tests running on that as well. So people are good. They're great at automating their processes, but 
DevOps is a very iterative process, um, so it's understandable in some in some ways. We've heard about the promise of using DevOps to make multiple releases, and you talked about it uh, just before, um, rather than making only a handful of releases a year. Is this what you're currently seeing in the market, or are we still on a journey towards that? So this is an interesting question because I've seen this happen both ways. So more often than not, an organization that is focusing on multiple releases per day, they've already had their foot in the DevOps game for at least a year or two. And that's something very common I see. What I've also seen, but not as often, is organizations focusing on fast releases from the start. The reason why this, oh, the reason why I think that you don't see this so often is that one, you've got no metrics to measure against. And two, usually by the time these uh, places are implementing their DevOps practices, they haven't fully thought out the entire infrastructure of their solution that they're trying to do. Um, but yes, no, so organizations that have had their foot in the game, I definitely do see them moving towards this multiple releases per day. Um, and I've been witness to see uh, organizations make that transition as well. Yeah, cool. Um, so building on that then, what's some anecdotal feedback on the success or outcomes that DevOps has enabled those teams you've been working with? Yeah, so um, from an enterprise level, we, um, so a, a project that I just recently finished up on, and I think I just touched on it before, is that we had a, a, a massive enterprise client. Uh, they would have well over two, 300 employees um, working for them and their international customer as well. So they had, uh, they had typical build times of around six hours. Uh, so you can imagine that a team of five people trying to develop in a day, they had to be very careful as to when they pushed their build, uh, when they committed their code. Um, what this led to actually was them putting in workarounds or hacks to allow them to push multiple, um, to push their multiple feature branches into their, into their develop or their master branch um, so that they could only have one build going on that would incorporate all of their changes. Um, so I'm sure you can see where this is heading very quickly. When you're not running integration tests and stuff like that um, on each of your commits or each of your pushes to your repository, you're obviously leaving a lot of room for error. So not only did their builds take around six hours to complete and they were only able to do one of them a day, um, this also led to them having to take three or four days to work on a very particular problem. Uh, but tracking down that particular problem is hard when you have a team of five or six people pushing in commits. Um, so yeah, what we've done, we, 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 um, we streamlined that process for them. We implemented, we didn't change too much about um, their process. What we did change though is how they were using that process, um, I suppose. So that means things like um, testing, so they were running their UI tests um, with every build and UI tests are notoriously known for taking a long time to run, even more so if, you, uh, um, if you've got a big solution. So we had to come back, we had to take a step back from the DevOps pipelines and we had to look at what they were doing as part of their process. So 
we took a step back and we had a look at their testing and what we realized is that their testing that they were doing they were writing unit tests they were writing integration tests and they were writing ui tests and that was brilliant but 90 percent of their tests overlapped with each other and what i mean by that is that they had full ui tests that were that were running that were testing the same thing that an integration test could do so yeah, so having that uh, um, identifying proper um, the, the proper testing pyramid scheme and how to implement that. And also, yeah, from a small business perspective, so I've gone in consulting um, for small startups um, before, and a lot of them is they just want they they want a hint as to how they can bypass that having their foot in the game for one or two years before they start doing multiple releases. They want that from the get go. Um, and that has worked out really well for them in some places. As I was saying before, it tends to be the places that have their applications well defined in advance, as opposed to those who are trying to define as they go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it sounds like some interesting things on um, both sides of the camp there. Um, Thinking about DevOps today, then comparing uh, to where it was this time last year, what advances have there been from a process and or technology perspective? So I think the biggest thing I've seen is a consolidation of tools to enable a better DevOps experience. So when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about tools like Terraform or Pulumi that, that help them uh, handle their infrastructure management. And I'm also seeing a lot of organizations move towards a um, towards cloud offerings or hybrid cloud offerings as well. Uh, so you talked about uh, Terraform um, as a tool for, uh, for DevOps technologies. We've also seen the likes of Azure DevOps and AWS Proton into the market. How ready are these types of products for enterprises um, just to turn on and get working? Is it a simple plug in and play? Yes, yeah, so if you stay within their ecosystem, uh, within the ecosystem, it's very plug and play. But then you'll have issues with, um, if you are wanting to go cross-platform, cross because the, the, these aren't agnostic. Uh, these technologies aren't as agnostic as some teams would like them to be, I suppose. Mm. Um, but I've just finished working with a customer who has wanted us to build them a um, a, a DevOps portal. Uh, but the the big difference here is that this portal is going to be agnostic to the DevOps platform it uses. And what I mean by that is that we we we'll, we create an interface over top of Azure DevOps or um, Bitbucket pipelines or GitHub Actions. So we build an interface over that and we allow developers to come in and do and set up all their DevOps needs, so their resources, whatever it may be, and then we will let them select a provider to do that through. Mm. And the reason why we've done this is, and you've just touched on it, is the, is the plug and play architecture. So what that means is that we say a new um, a new DevOps provider comes out and they've developed an SDK for this for this provider. We can just grab that SDK, incorporate it into the solution that we've bought uh, that we've built for the customer, and now their users have access to this new DevOps platform. We want to give them the illusion 
that they're using the same platform, but also give them the freedom to be able to use the tools that they need to do things best. Yeah, cool. So just talking a little bit more about the um, the technical side of things, uh, what safeguards can teams put in place to ensure quality is maintained with their, uh, their DevOps methodologies? Yeah, so at a basic level, we have um, very easy safeguards that we can put in. So these are things, uh, pull requests, uh, making sure we have the right number of approvers, uh, making sure we have the approval, uh, the right approvals from the right people, that kind of stuff. But we can take it, we can take it a lot further than that. So another project I've been working on is we use pipelines to enforce our safeguards and to make sure our quality is maintained. And it sounds a bit weird to start with, but what it allowed us to do is essentially we built a, a set of what we call master pipelines. And these master pipelines would do things uh, like running dependency checks, security scans, uh, all those common types of uh, security safeguards that you want to have around your code. So we, we, we have a pipeline for that. Um, what happens is that when a, uh, a, pro a new project comes along, their pipeline files will make a reference to our master pipeline files. And what that means is that any project that runs under our organization, they, their projects are going to be enforced to run these security pipelines um, or master pipelines. They, they will have to run those before they can run any of their, um, their specific, their application specific stuff. And so, yeah, this is how we at a very, very tight level keep control of, um, we can do things like keep control of what steps um, an application's using within their YAML pipelines. Uh, we can keep control over what branches go where. So yeah, there, there's a whole lot of control we can put into there. And the good thing about it is that it all comes, uh, as far as the users and the organization are concerned, all of this security goodness comes for free because as soon as they go to create a new project, um, their pipelines are going to be, their pipelines will be created for them by us and we're going to make sure that they have to use our master pipelines. We even go as far as to hashing our pipelines so that way we can ensure that no one makes any changes. Um, and we also version our pipelines as well. So if we do make any breaking changes, um, we can mitigate those with the necessary teams. Yeah, this kind of segues into um, another question that I was thinking of in, in terms of um, a lot of the restructuring and job changes we've seen in the market over the last 18 months. It's caused considerable disruption for technology teams. Um, and therefore the wider business as well. You get started on a project and then um, a change happens, someone leaves, et cetera. Valuable knowledge is lost with the, um, like from that business. Um, so can you quickly touch on how DevOps practices can mitigate that? Yeah, so as a DevOps engineer, I think that we should logically be abstracting as much complexity away from the developers as possible. At the end of the day, all the developers care about is that their code makes it out to production. And if it doesn't, they get an alert about it in some form. All managers care about <laughs> is seeing those metrics, seeing how often those builds are going out, how much of those tests are passing, um, and, and how stable everything is. And all the testers care about is how good their tests are running. 
Mm. So, um, yeah. So if we can abstract all that other complexity, all the stuff that they don't need to worry about, the security, um, how it's getting deployed, um, how we're doing replacements, uh, file replacements and stuff like that, what it does is it allows developers to just um, focus on what they need to focus on, which is local development. So they can focus on getting their local development environment up and running. And then as soon as they have that done, they can start pushing out code to our, to production or more, more often than not to CI and then to dev and then to UAT and then to production. But they can get into that workflow a lot easier. They don't have to worry about any of that. Um, there is a bit of a danger here, though, of abstracting away too much. Mm. So that I find that there's a fine line you've got to you, you want to abstract away like I was saying, things that people, uh, developers, managers and that don't need to worry about. But you also need to do it in a way that if they do need to know about it, it's easily traced back. Um, so this is when like auditing and and um, logging and stuff like that really comes into into power. Mm. So what, what kind of documentation um, have you seen? Um, or what, what's the state of that in the market at the moment for the um, projects you've been working on? Yeah, so I've seen it all. I've worked with paint diagrams and I've worked with Visio diagrams. <laughs> but in terms of documentation around DevOps, what one thing I have seen, and I've been guilty of this as well, is it's sometimes really hard to document um, or to, to maintain the documentation for your DevOps, especially if you're new into the market and it's so rapidly evolving. Mm. What this tends to lead to is documentation tech debt which usually never gets covered off until handover occurs. And by that point, um, it, it's changed so much that the documentation is out of date. Um, so yeah, I've, I've worked across all boards of it. Um, what I have found that works best, and it does come with a bit of an overhead, is just maintaining that documentation in some um, formal way, whether it be Confluent or just a, a Word document that you can share to the wider team. Yeah, sure. It's quite quite good as well that um, because there are those safeguards in place, those guardrails, um, it does potentially mean you can um, start hiring and having engineers with not as much experience as you normally would have working on projects uh, because they have to keep meeting those gates. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's one. It's a big requirement not to have is, is to be able to hire a developer and say, hey, you don't need to have a huge um, experience with DevOps because we've, we've got that covered. Mm. Um, and what that actually allows for is if they do want to make that transition to DevOps, they have a really stable uh, a stable starting plate, I suppose. Mm. So the learning curve's not quite as steep. Yeah, definitely. Any final points um, you think worth raising before we wrap? Yeah, so DevOps... In my mind, DevOps touches a lot more than just automated deployment. And even when you look at DevSecOps, which should be the standard we're going towards nowadays, um, when you when you start looking at DevSecOps, uh, it, again, touches even more parts. And with IT being a vastly expanding industry, employing a stable DevOps or DevSecOps solution will help your organization keep ahead of the game. Well. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Dan. It's been very in entertaining and interesting to get into the mind of someone who's um, who's in the thick of it. <laughs> no problem at all, mate. It's been good to um, 
get all of this stuff out of my head. <laughs> There's a few points in here that we'll have to drill into a bit more in future episodes. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you for your time. All right. And thanks everyone else for joining us today. Uh, hope this episode has been helpful for you on your DevOps journey. If you've got any questions or follow-ups, don't be shy in reaching out. So until next episode, take care.